Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you can create products customers love. Product management is a highly cross-functional role. You probably have noticed that as well. You know, we work with product teams, research and development, engineering, marketing, finance, and other groups inside the organization. But the one that is most often discussed, especially in B2B organizations, is sales. And you'll hear about it at product management meetups such as how a salesperson keeps asking a product manager to do product demos for customers, you know, tying up their time when they probably should be doing something else, like product management. Or how the sales team won't sell the existing product, but some features that we haven't even discussed yet. That creates tension between sales and product managers. But it can also be a very positive relationship. Salespeople can help us get access to companies for customer site visits and for other customer research that we need to do, getting those insights that lead to better products and more value for our customers. They can also be a source of early indications of a new trend forming or an old trend changing. And we know trends can make or break product success, and it's important to watch these. To understand how product management and sales can work better together, Eon Moise is here to discuss the topic with us. Eon has a technical background with a product mindset and a passion for sales. He's currently the sales director for Natterbox, which is a UK-based cloud telephony company. He also received the UK Sales Director of Year Award from the Institutes of Sales and Marketing. He'll share what sales wants from product management and also how the two functions can work together. I think you're going to enjoy the discussion. And you'll find a summary of that discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 182. Now to the interview with Ian. Ian, thank you for joining the Everyday Innovators. Good to be here. Thanks, Chad. So our topic is to explore sales and what uh, sales wants from product management. Product management is such a cross-functional role. We interact with different groups. I think for me, coming from an engineering background, you know, the engineering connection was pretty straightforward. Working with marketing was fairly straightforward. Mm-hmm. Not always. Um, sales was much more of a mystery to me initially. Okay. And I actually had to become a salesperson at one point, had a, you know, a goal on my back, so to speak, right? To hit. And uh-huh. that was a really interesting and, and valuable experience for me. But I think this is often the connection that is potentially more as more problems that might occur, more tensions that can occur. But let's first start with your perspective on sales. Just give us the sales experience that you've had. So interesting, I, I also came from an engineering programming background originally hmm. and, uh, and came into sales and had to learn a lot. But, but I think that gives you context of understanding technology and how to interpret it and translate it into customer speak. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's really what we're going to talk around. And, and I can bring some context to us where the product role, which is, is often the bridging between those two sits, um, you know, I've, I've been in sales a long, long time. I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to say how many years. And then through to sales management and, and what I would now define as sales leadership. Um, and I think, you know, the, the whole product bridging, whether we call it product management or marketing, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to touch on, is an incredibly valuable role when delivered right to the, to, to the sales team, and, but also to the business in the outcomes it brings. Mm-hmm. And in your sales capacities, is this pri- primarily a B2B context? 
Sure, yeah. So I've, I've always, that's a very good co- context to put in. So I've always worked in a, focused on a B2B. I've had parts of the business that are B2C, but my background is selling B2B um, solutions from, in, in, the, in the old world, product, whether there was a piece of hardware in the IT world through now to innovative cloud mm-hmm. um, solutions. Yeah. And for product managers, I think if we're working with sales, it's typically that context. Uh, if we're in consumer packaged goods, we're probably have a stronger connection with marketing and what, what they're doing there. So let's start with the perspective of what salespeople want from product managers. Explore that a bit for us. And I, I'm excited also that, to hear that your background was in engineering yep. and programming initially. So you, you can kind of straddle these fields pretty well. Uh, tell us about sales. Sales is, and I'm going to give it bluntly, right? Sales is often needy. You get a real mix of, of people from very experienced, from those who understand product or technology through to those that are thoroughbred just salespeople that don't understand complexity but are very good relationship people and need more help from the business whether it be from um, technical engineers or product management and side of things mm-hmm. um, and, and there's also a breadth right you mentioned b2b b2c there are more transactional sales through the enterprise very complex long sales that could take a year two years mm-hmm. And I think that the whole role of product knowledge um, and, and the, this product role, the value they bring differs in all of those cases. There's an under, underpinning gen, generic value they bring, but it will, the need and drive on them will vary in those different in industries, market sectors and sizes. And I've seen a good deal of variety. Some are exceptional at the relationship aspect, and that's where they, mm-hmm. they excel, and then managing the resources that they need to make the sale work out in the end. Yeah. Others know the product really well. Others haven't played with the product nearly as much as they should. Yeah. They might have an over-reliance on sales engineer or product managers to help, help come in. Lots of different perspectives. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to the everydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Your one place to become a product master. The everydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. What is it that sales professionals actually expect or want from product managers? A key thing on a highlight, and I'm sure this would have come up some point during here, is, you know, the definition, and I've seen this again and again, is product manager or product marketing mm-hmm. and, and how the two intermix. Now, and often, depending on the size of business, they're the same role. And I've seen this where it, the, the title is product manager or product marketing, but what they're actually doing is a blurring of, of the two. Mm. Um, you know, product manager, for me, is defining um, 
the why, what, and when of the product. It's the bridge between the customer-facing side of the business and the engineering side as to what should be in the roadmap. What are we getting right? What are we getting wrong? And and and, and bridging the the real world through the technical, keeping salespeople away from it because we all, from sales, we always want everything in the product and we want it all yesterday because why should our competitor have something that we don't? That's the real world. So you know, product marketing is often the piece where the most demand comes from sales. I want to know what the competition is doing. I want to know um, how we position our product. What are the unique selling points? What how do we sell that and, and you identified and mentioned some salespeople don't understand the product side as much mm-hmm. that's where really the product management or marketing need to spoon feed them this is the differences or pieces to focus on and from the product manager side i think it, important piece there in the true product management side is the other way around it is how do they draw out of sales hmm. the valuable yeah. insights that sales get in the field to bring back into the business to get the right enhancements and focus because I think there's too much noise and the two don't always communicate, right? Sales is very needy. I want this feature, I want this, because I've lost a deal, so immediately I want this feature and I want it yesterday. Doesn't mean that feature should be done. Is that the only customer we're going to see that requirement from in the next five years? Right. You know, so it's, it's not just taking information, it's giving it context and correlation across the whole business. And that's not always easy from salespeople who don't always define that information as well as they might, particularly if they're not very producty and they're very salesy. You get very generic feedback. We lost it because of this, the old excuse kit bag. Didn't have this feature, we lost it. What you don't want is an immature product manager reacting and running around from pillar to post because it's very easy to do that. If you've got a sales team of 30, 40 people, they're all going to have a lost story they all have a lost story that's a function or feature-related piece. And if they're all different, what do you do? Right. As a product manager, right. what are you going to do? One aspect of that, Ian, when it comes to what should be formal win-loss analysis in that situation, that we can really get some insights across several customers. Absolutely. In contrast to that with the individual salesperson who brings back the idea and says, hey, this is why we lost it. Sometimes that's just because customers feel obligated to provide a reason. And it might be that that wasn't really the reason that, that the sale was lost. There were other things going on. The customer had to provide some reason. Like, oh, well, you know, your competitor has this feature. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter to us, but I have to say something to you, right? Yeah. And so overreacting on those, we need to be careful about too. Well, let, let, me, give, let me give a context on that. And it doesn't always work. You know, there's, there's no one size fits all. But what I've historically done there, and not for every customer, but where we lose, and every business I've been in, you'll lose prospective customers for right or wrong reasons mm-hmm. right that's that's the nature of, of the world you can't be right every time but where we lose not just in fact done this with, with one is um, where it's of, of a size or, or something where you can learn from it you can't as i say you can't do it on every one if you if you've got fifty thousand transactions going on you need to pick your battles but where you're particularly where your solution's selling i look as a sales leader to have a call with that client you know, may I have a call? So it, it, it removes it from the emotives of a salesperson who is often too close to it and too focused on defending why they lost. And I'll request a call with a customer. And there's nothing wrong with product management doing that also on the base of we're not trying to convince you of anything. There's no selling. I just want to listen. I just want to ask some questions. And I position it as um, we value um, your decision but we'd also value some feedback that we could learn from it. Could you give me something back for the for the, for the engagement and time we put? 
and they won't all do it. But if you get one out of three does it, you've got something to learn from an independent perspective. And you've got someone who isn't close to it listening. And it's massively valuable to do that. And in this context, you're sharing what product management can really get from sales. How does product managers do a better job of making that actually happen, of trying to get insights from sales in a way that is meaningful to advancing the vision of the product? Yes, that's that's a good question. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've seen product management, uh, stroke marketing, that um, don't want to listen to – so I've seen a number of things. Don't engage with sales. Don't don't explain what they're trying to get. A very regimented – um, and very pushy that we're the expert rather than trying to understand the sales perspective. No one's right or wrong here. And through to the good where they've really engaged with sales and, and sales leadership has a part to play when educating the salespeople, what is the role this individual's got to add value to sales? So before you go anywhere, making sure sales understands what is the value this person should be bringing to us and why. Now, how do we help them Give us back that value. What do they need from us? What do we need to give them for them to serve us? And it's, it's setting that context at the beginning, I think, and getting the, the, um, the rules of the game in place. Because I think often that's not set. It's assumed. And then you get these mismatches of um, throwing information at them, sales complaining, well, we didn't get the function. Because mm-hmm. we expect that when we tell them we haven't got something and it, we lost a deal, that's therefore magically going to happen. So I think it's for product managers to understand the sales team. That's got to come from sales leadership, bridging it and helping to explain what they're there to do and what they need in return. Um, I think it's them setting the also the systems in place. You, you mentioned the loss report. Absolutely. I, I believe that role should be defining in the CRM. What is it and where do I need filling in? What is the loss report? It shouldn't just be sales. It should be a product management perspective. What do I need? What data do I need? What format? And what color? It's no good just saying we lost to a competitor. It's who is the competitor? Can I do a multi-pick list of who we were up against? Did we lose to two for different reasons? Hmm. And then requesting detail in the system and analyzing that, looking for patterns, the old big database. And then engaging with those salespeople, not just using that as flat data, using that as a context to go back to the salespeople and dig in. Look, this data is telling me there's a pattern here of the, our interface on this part of the product is letting us down over our competitors. Let's go and talk to them and ask, therefore, indicated by that information, can I speak to a few of those customers perhaps? So I, it's, it's pointing me in the right direction. Now what do I do to really get the context for the business to help sales? It isn't just run off and do it. It's I need now, now I've identified the area, I need to really hone in on it and get the color. How do I get that? Because if I do that and then come back to sales going, right, look, we, we lost 30 deals last quarter. Seven of them seem to be around this function. That's the commonest pattern. I've spoken to the four of those customers. This seems to be the nub of the problem. If sales thing is, my God, you got it. That is, that's exactly... We, You've earned the, the you, you you educate sales into I get it now and what we're doing about that is we've mocked up a prototype and we're trying to do that and we're going to take it to a few of those test customers etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Hmm. You okay. then create that cyclical three hundred and sixty loop that people are going to input and give you more back. You've earned the right. 
And I think that's the bit often I see missed is it, there's not this bridging of earning the right. It's just this is how product management works and we assume sales understands it. And a lot of people don't. And earning the right is a big part of this. I, I've seen this occur in kind of two ways. You, you mentioned sales leadership, which I think is a big piece of this puzzle, mm-hmm. that we really should have sales leadership setting the expectation with the sales teams, the sales professionals, what role product management makes, what is reasonable to ask of them, and and how they fit into the overall work into accomplishing the role of sales too. Sometimes the expectations are not set. And uh, just by culture, it, it evolves into product managers can be called on anytime to help us demonstrate the product and talk to customers yeah. because we don't know it well enough ourselves. And that just is a slippery slope. So having sales leadership push this interaction is, I think, is really helpful when done properly. Mm-hmm. The other way I've seen the kind of earn the right done, again, we have all kinds of salespeople, and some of them are the early adopters, so to speak, when it comes to the new things of the product, and they're excited to be engaging with customers on those. Yeah, I've had the experience, and seen other product managers have the experience, where individual salespeople will just start building a productive relationship with a product manager and that product manager then can find ways into the customer to get more insights. And you kind of go from there. I think the big part of this that's coming out, and you're saying the same, is it's communication hmm. and it's qualification. And I think people see qualification as a sale. It's part of the sales process, but it's also critical to all this stuff to do with product because you're going to make decisions often, particularly with true product management, which um, lead into development. And development is not to be taken lightly, right? Once you go down a path, you've got to do the design work, the framework, the design work or whatever it is, whether it be an engineered product or whether it be a technology product. You've got to do the development. Then you've got to do the Q&A, the release, the beta. Da, da, da. There's a lot goes into that. right? Um, so if you don't get the first part right, it's the old uh, image I'm sure you've seen many years ago of someone draws like a, a – I wanted a swing in the playground – and what I, yeah, you know it, and I'm sure listeners will. And I ended up with 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 the seesaw because I said it involved people doing this, and, and one does it, and then one. It's getting that right at the beginning; otherwise, the whole thing is on the wrong path. Yeah, exactly. And we can get on that wrong path when we overreact to the last thing that we heard from a customer, as opposed to getting insights, like you said. You know, if we're doing win loss analysis and we have engaged 20 customers and seven stand out as you know with the same problem then we know what we need to attack and what we can work on. Yeah. So I think the important pieces are role for sales leadership to play for sure, role for the individual product manager to play and working with, with salespeople. The tensions that come up for me is typically when sales is just asking for a lot from product managers and product managers aren't saying no when they probably should. Yeah. Any advice on saying no in a uh, professional <laughs> manner that will make sense to salespeople? Yeah, and I think it comes back to what we've just said. It's earning that right. If you've earned the right, the relationship, a lot of this is about relationships and earning the credibility of those individuals. So you're in, you know, if you think about it, to me, sales is internally a customer of product management, of product marketing, of the SE team, and it's understanding that. And what does that customer want from me? What does good look like? If I was to say, to, you know, what, what's wrong with saying to sales, look, this is what the role is. Sales leadership supporting it. So we're, we're together on this to the sales team. Um, what would good look like from you as a sales team? If we jump forward six, nine, 12 months, what would have you championing and saying, 
Bob, Sue did a fantastic product management job this year. What does that look like to you as, in your sales team? Hmm. Not, not focused detail, but generically. Well, it would mean um, you've helped us um, reduce the loss ratio or we've, if, if, if it's the product management mix piece, oh, we know our competitors better uh, or we know this. Whatever, what does what good look like? And setting the scene from the beginning of, is that the right expectation? What can you do about it? It isn't just agreeing to it even there. But if you set yourself down that path of knowing what sales is expecting from you and you've corrected it at the beginning, well, that's not what I do. That's, this is what I do. Oh, okay. So you know the goal you've got to do, that if you look back in nine, 12 months and you've delivered that, sales is going to be going championing mm-hmm. what you've delivered. You have to have sales leadership supporting that from the beginning. Um, and then it's an ongoing communicative piece, not going off into a side. So where I've seen product managers work really well is where they're an inherent part of the sales team. Mm. They're there all the time. They're on your shoulder. They're asking you things, sitting you down. Going, well, I saw you lost that deal with the CRM. This is the detail you put. Can I talk to you about it over a coffee? Mm-hmm. And getting real feedback and questioning you and challenging you and saying perhaps let's call the customer, but feeling like they actually want to know that. It's not... We're isolated and we're just using a system where we fill some details in. You never talk to us about it. You go and look it up and just produce data. It's not making them a data person. It's making them a real engaging person. Yeah, the emphasis there on the communication and the relationship. Yeah. And our CRM systems sometimes become the wall between these fields. And the data just goes in and there's not the communication and the engagement that occurs. Exactly. And having some of those personal experiences with the salespeople is a great way to build a relationship. In a B2B context, most salespeople are glad to have a product manager come along with them to get experience you know, with the customer. Yeah. The salesperson is providing a new resource to the customer, and you know, this, that's a win for them. In time, the product manager and salesperson can really build up a strong relationship by having those shared interactions. You can also gauge the feedback, right? My, my view of product management and, and uh, marketing, whichever variants or combined you see, is often stuff happens in a silo in a back room and then it's communicated to sales. I've ticked my box, I've delivered something, but are you really gauging on an ongoing basis sales feedback? I've seen it where stuff, something has come out to sales and I can see the faces. You know, in a sales meeting, you roll something and you gauge, this ain't good. This is not what they expected or wanted. But in a silo, on a piece of paper, it looks great. This has been done, tick, tick, tick. We've delivered X, Y, and Z, particularly in product marketing when it's competitor information. We've, we've done all this stuff. Look at all these battle cards, and it's provided to sales, and they don't use them because actually what's on them is factual, but it's not usable in the real world hmm. on the street. But the, the product marketing or management, are they gauging that and testing it along the way and seeing the reaction of the people as opposed to doing it electronically, as you described. Uh, I've got information out of the system. I've produced something back, um, but I'm not feeling it. It's, it's missing that feeling piece of the, the sensitivity in the room of, well, okay, you don't all seem happy about this. Why? Mm-hmm. So people think they've done the right thing. The other side, but no one's communicating and making it blatantly obvious. So why, what's the point of doing it? If there's no value being delivered, the whole exercise becomes a, just a pure cost for the business. Right. At some point where product marketing, in this example, product marketing activities might occur that we're kind of checking the boxes, right? This 
you know, A, B, and C have to get done. Someone told me these things have to get done. Yeah. But we're not determining if we have done them in a way that actually provides value to our customer or aren't really even needed. So I do like when you said before that we should think of in product management, think of sales as our customer. Mm, yeah, that might lead to some different things. You know, I can imagine if I'm going out on a couple sales calls with a sales professional, and I see the sort of things that they're doing in terms of demonstrating the product, talking to the customer about that, I might come up with a better way to help them demonstrate the product. Absolutely. And maybe create new training or a new demonstration capability that all the salespeople can then use. And I'm enabling them and probably also freeing up some of my time to not have to you know, be doing kind of sales engineering work in the future. I totally agree. So there's room here for the, the roles to work better, probably more times than not. Seems like it comes down to just the fundamentals of are we engaging? Are we communicating? Are we building that relationship? Some of that suggests that we're, we're understanding that we're both working towards the same objective. And I think that is one place that things can get out of sync at times too. Yeah. Sometimes in part when it's at the end of the quarter or end of the year and the, the goals are need to be met by sales professionals and there might be uh, more pressure to make this happen. C- can you just talk about your experience there? I know you've been in that situation at some point if you've been in sales. Yeah, and there's also a trade-off, of, of, as I said, right? So if you take 10 salespeople, they'll all come up with some feature or function that would have helped them win a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, again, where sales leadership needs to step in sometime and, and manage the team's expectations and direction because you can't please everyone all the time. And yet, it'd be great to have all those 10 functions. And as a sales leader, believe me, I'd, I'd love to have everything that everyone ever asked for because then whenever we come into anything again, well, we've got that, we've got that, we've got – you win every engagement because you've got everything everyone's got. But you have to choose your battles and your order. If, if, if you've got 10 things, which one is most valuable? Because you can't have them all. You've got a generic R&D going on. So you can't stop your generic R&D, even if you're working an agile methodology, to say, let's stop all that and just do the things that sales is asking for. So you've got to fit them in amongst what is the generic moving forward roadmap, Mm -hmm. which which ones are the important ones, which ones are going to have the most impact, and which ones are nice to have, or pedestal issues of customers where it wasn't a real need. It was was one of those things they hung their hat on, as you described, why they went with a competitor, but it wasn't real, real. Um, so I think a lot of it is, is, is for sales leadership to take some ownership and manage their own people in terms of expectation that you can have everything. It's like the kid in the toy shop, right? Yeah, well, that or this. No, no, no. You've got this much pocket money. You can have that or that. Mm-hmm. You can have them both. Which one is the most important and why? And, and you have to live with your decision. You can't say tomorrow, I wish I'd bought the other one. Because once we start down that path and the development's in place, we're not unpicking it. Right. So, and often salespeople aren't, um, as you described, as technical. Well, they haven't lived that way. I've lived in the programming world, so I know the other side of what goes on. So I've got a little bit of advantage doing leadership that I, I can interpret with um, development and product management and understand where they're coming from because I know the implications of decisions we're making. A lot of salespeople and, and sales leaders don't. Right. Don't see what really goes on. Don't understand the Q and A regime, and it's that it's not just knock up a bit of code. It looks like it works. Off we go. That there's the phases you have to go through, and what looks like three days coding. By the time you've done the planning, the coding, the testing, and the rollout, um, is um, probably a month's work to get it right and to be safe in production. Um, 
So I, I think a lot of it is is not the can you do it or the tick boxes of I deliver something. It's the management of the process and it's the management from the sales side of the business. And I think that's critical, making sure the sales leadership understands the impact on the business mm-hmm. and how to manage their salespeople's expectations and how to manage the engagement with product management to how do I get the most out of it? I absolutely don't want everything. But where do I place my poker chips to get the most win? And at the end of this, I come out a winner. Right. A lot of this stems from the overall strategy and the objectives of the the organization and then down to the specific product and how we meet our customers and marching towards that, marching towards a larger vision. And part of the sales leadership aspect of this is understanding for product management, we likely have multiple inputs for understanding what our customer values. And sales is just one of those. And there's probably research that we're doing research that we might be contracting, other inputs we have to really get insights but about what would create new value for the customer that hasn't hasn't emerged yet. We're trying to balance that and figure out what the right pieces are to move forward. Yeah. Well, well some of it's the Steve Jobs the Steve Jobs thing, right? Who who uh, I forget I'll get his quote I won't try to do his exact quote because I'll get it wrong, but it was a lot it was it was the the, the gist of it was I, I didn't wait I didn't deliver what customers wanted because they didn't know they wanted it yet. Right. So there's always a bit of that innovation within the company and product management of we're delivering something that no one's asked for yet mm-hmm. because it's the differentiator from the market. Meanwhile, there are customer requests, some of which are engaged with contractual customers who say, I want to go with this, but you're, you've committed to do this for me as part of it. And others are then the lost ones we've spoken about of, is there a pattern where we're losing customers repeatedly because of a certain thing? Therefore, we need to address this because it makes business sense to do so. And it's a mix of those three that forms your, um, the profile of your R&D and your roadmap. I love that quote, your paraphrase from the jobs. It makes me think of the Wayne, Wayne Grisky, the, the great one for hockey playing, you know, that he skates to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. And this idea that we want to be out in front of the customer's needs and what will create value for them next. And speaking of quotes, I love a good innovation quote, as do our listeners. What is the quote that you brought for us? And tell us why you wanted to share that one. When you said this, I immediately thought of an obvious one um, that I've mentioned. I, I, I've written it down because I don't want to get it wrong. But what's interesting for me about it before I say it is that it's often cited. And I did this when I first saw it. You grab a slide off the internet, and the internet, many, you know, the, the, the field of lies, um, quotes it to Socrates. Hmm. Now, it sort of is, but it's actually used by uh, as a gymnast. I looked it up, and there's a gymnast called Dan Milman who cited the source of Socrates originally and it's in that has rippled Socrates to him was a counselor that he nicknamed Socrates to him personal to him it, it was his Socrates it's not actually from the real Socrates that's sort of why I remember it as well makes it stand out but the quote is that the the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old but on building the new hmm. and I think that falls well into what we're talking about in this and the subject in terms of some of the challenges of developing and, and, and product management and R&D, et cetera. It, it also falls highly, highly in the area I'm in, which is I've been in the cloud business for the last 12, 13 years, and it's a highly disruptive technology area that's moving incredibly fast. It's changing and reinventing, and it's disrupting whole industries that are now capable of doing things differently. But the biggest impeder I've seen across that, and it still exists today, is people. Hmm. is here's something fantastically new but you then hear the phrase yeah but we couldn't because we can't because or we you we do it this way or etc i always challenge people with that in terms of think 
if if you had a clean slate today, clean whiteboard, how would you do it for today? If you were building this new, and invariably, once you clear people's minds, they start to use all the new tech and all the new ways. But they, the nature of people is to avoid change because it's hard, right? Who, who wants to come in and change and change again, which is necessary in today's world to remain relevant? Because it's painful. It's easier to stick with the status quo. So that's in long and short why I chose that quote, why I think it's very relevant to this subject. I like that quote. And I love hearing a new one that I haven't heard before. So the secret of change is to focus all your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Thanks for sharing that with us. For people that want to follow up, connect with you, and also about what your company does, how can they do that? The company is Natabox. We're a cloud telephony provider doing all that disruption I mentioned. Uh, You can reach me at ian.moyce at natabox.com. And privately and personally uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn, I'll give you two easy ones. ianmoyce, M-O-Y-S-E dot co dot UK. That's my LinkedIn. And ianmoyce.cloud is my Twitter account. So find me on both. Thanks for sharing that. I will put those resources in the show notes to make it easier for people to click on the links. And Ian, thanks for sharing the information about how as product managers, we can improve that relationship with sales and work better together. Thank you. Cheers, Chad. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products customers love. Find the summary of our discussion with Ian at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 182. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.